0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment.
1: And that is a harsh lesson in business.
0: Sports is in not a, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal.
2: Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to that Chelsea podcast, episode 89, Chelsea FC, goals and clean sheets. We hope. We hope. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. We are back to preview the brand new season. There's no Jack, unfortunately this week, he's busy with his own pre-season training, but I've got two fabulous guests joining me on the podcast today. First off, Adam Newsom, Adam Newsom. Adam, how are we doing, sir?
1: Good. Thank you. Thank you for having me back on.
2: Now, Adam, it is always, always a pleasure. And also, you know, the second part of a brilliant double act, Mr. Daniel Charles. Daniel, how are we doing?
0: Yeah, great to be back on, mate. Uh, wasn't it Brentford the last time I was on? So, you know, I only arrive after disasters. So this, 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 we're back again.
2: Yeah, no, I think I got you on twice last year for Brentford. So both <laughs> <laughs> very different games. and have maybe one with Adam. So, yeah, it's, it's nice to have you both back on. Um, as I always do with guests, I get them to give themselves a plug. I'm sure by now most of you know Adam's Twitter app and where you can find him and about his work. Um, but Adam, why don't you tell people where they can find you and all your work for Football London?
1: Yeah, Adam Newsom on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, I think. Uh, All the normal places. And on the Football London website, obviously.
0: Yeah,
2: lovely, lovely stuff. And Daniel, why don't you tell people where they can find all
0: your work? Uh, You can find it on the Football London website as well. Uh, I always say that I think Twitter at Santa Chelsea is probably the best place to go because that's where kind of, that's the hub of where all of the links go. So my YouTube um obviously my football london work and then also i've recently um set up a Substack, uh, a newsletter where i'm going to be posting pretty regularly so um yeah all the links are there i think probably twitter at son of chelsea my bio i've got the links to, to all the stuff there of what i do so um, that's probably the best place to go
2: yeah adam and daniel's links will be in the description below so make sure you check them out two brilliant guests right let's start off with the fact that chelsea have been in pre-season and part of that pre-season went going on a tour to the US of A. Adam, you were very I guess fortunate enough to be out there covering the tour. Um, Just your kind of general experience covering the tour and then just your kind of general thoughts on the tour, because obviously this was a tour that was arranged pre-Todd Bodie coming in, it was arranged by the previous ownership. In the media kind of it has, I guess been a a very general, I guess, cynicism I guess of the tour, the way, you know, the amount of travelling going on it was maybe a kind of general because it felt less about the football and more about you know the PR, et cetera, Just your kind of general experience of you know covering the US tour, going on a preseason tour of Chelsea, and then your just general thoughts on on the US tour and how successful or unsuccessful it was.
1: I, I'd probably break the tour down into two parts. Basically, um, you had that weekend in Los Angeles, and the great thing about LA, somewhat surprisingly, was the weather wasn't too hot. Um, it was actually cooler than it was here in the UK. Um, so it was it was nice conditions in that sense. Uh, they were based in in one city in one hotel. They weren't jumping around. Yes, you know, I've been told Tucker wasn't uh, particularly enamoured with the pitch that they trained on at UCLA, but for the most part, that was quite a sort of content week. You know, the players got on with their work, did the double sessions, did the somewhat inevitable, I suppose, comm- <clears throat> sorry, somewhat. Inevitable commercial work with the uh, with the Dodgers, which I think we'll probably see more of going forward. Um, and at that point, you know, there, there was a feeling of yet yeah, Chelsea are, are working hard towards towards the season. Obviously, then you know the second week, or you know what it would be about eight eight nine days, was was spent travelling around. So there, there was the flight to, to Vegas and the game in Vegas. There was uh, then the decision was taken for Chelsea to base themselves in Orlando for the second week and fly up to the game in Charlotte. Um, and I think it was that second week and especially towards the end of that second week um, when I feel the general feeling around the squad was, OK, we're ready to go home now. Um, that's the messaging I was was told, um, especially after the Charlotte game, because ultimately, you know, there was a, a six day spell where Chelsea caught four flights um, and they were back in Orlando. Uh, and Daniel, look, Daniel will fill you in more because he spent a week there. Um, but the heat and humidity of Orlando is, is is quite punishing. It's not an easy place to be. Um, it's not an easy place to be just to be walking around, let alone having to do double sessions to prepare yourself for a new season. So I don't think it's hugely surprising that ahead of that Arsenal game, you had a lot of weary bodies, a lot of weary minds, guys, you know, wanting to, to get back to the UK, get back to probably more familiar surroundings, a bit less punishing uh, conditions. Um and it all seemed to sort of come out in that Arsenal performance. And I guess, look, that that made the tour end on a very sour note. Thomas Tuchel's very sort of fatalistic press conference didn't help matters where he essentially said, oh, I can't guarantee we'll be ready for Everton, um, which obviously set alarm bells ringing along with him saying um, that players wanted to leave and and that the strike here, that sort of the attacking issues weren't going to fix themselves because they're the same players. I mean, look... Like, eh, It all put this very dark cloud over Chelsea just to say returning. So in my view, pre-season, first week fine, second week too much, uh, too much travelling. Probably not the right environment to really push players um, in terms of double sessions, really hard running. Um, And it's something that Chelsea will have to consider going forward because I don't think um, it's... Uh, too big a claim on my part so Chelsea will be going back to the US fairly frequently in the years to come um, with the new ownership um, but they'll just have to look at how they do it because you can't you can't create a situation where these guys after sort of 10-11 days are feeling very burnt out um, because of the traveling and because the conditions they're training and maybe you do 10 days in in maybe one place and, and you invite the teams to come to play you um, rather than you going around the country. And I know the counter-argument is, of course, that fans in different places want to see the team. But uh, whilst I completely understand that, and it's, it's completely valid, the most important thing is obviously making sure the team is ready uh, for the season ahead. And I think Chelsea will be just about come Everton, but I don't think um, they're probably as in, in good a shape as so they could be at this point right now. And um, we're, Obviously, we're recording after the, uh, the Udinese games.
2: Yeah. No, exactly. Daniel, you were there in Florida for a week. Just your kind of experience, I guess, just in Florida, you know, experiencing Chelsea, you know, over land and sea. It was watching Chelsea, probably the furthest you've ever watched Chelsea play a game. Um, Just your kind of general experience watching Chelsea and, you know, losing to Arsenal in Orlando.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was the worst part of the holiday, to be honest. Uh, And I want to make I want to make it abundantly clear. I did not travel that far just to see Chelsea get battered by Arsenal and watch Alonso not being able to to track Bukayo Saka because I can do that about ten minutes down the road from here. So I I found it interesting obviously I, I think more just in a sense because the game went so poorly it was just more interesting to see the atmosphere and the type of crowd that goes to that game compared to obviously being a, a Stanford Bridge regular and and obviously it can become quite sort of um uh a normal thing going to see Chelsea play and I think that a lot of us can get quite tired of it and it kind of it is quite repetitive after a while and it's it's quite interesting seeing those around you who just seeing the players in person is is a point of excitement you know just seeing those players actually there who, who they've been watching on TV I think it, it's something that was quite interesting and and it, and it was kind of the only way I can describe it like compared to things I've experienced is say like when WWE comes over to the UK and you go and watch the a show here and that's the only kind of vibe I can sort of describe in terms of an atmosphere because it is extremely different to an English football crowd I mean it just is naturally I mean you have people sat next to each other with Chelsea and Arsenal shirts on even though they if on the TV it looked like there was two sections which was pretty much the case but you know it wasn't that segregated so it was a very much relaxed vibe and and I agree with Adam I mean the humidity is something in Orlando that you just don't you can't describe compared to the UK's heat I mean, of, of course, I leave the UK and then we have our biggest heat wave ever. Um, but the, it's just the way walking around Orlando, it, it, the heat gets you. It really does. And you do have to take breaks and find air conditioning. Like you don't value air conditioning as much as you do in Orlando. I mean, it's just, you know, you do need to take breaks, particularly if you're not used to it. I mean, it was interesting speaking to some of the locals around there. And they said that the heat last week was more than usual like even though they they're used to this heat it was particularly hot um in florida last week so it obviously you could tell from the players and and hearing a bit from adam before i went to see the arsenal game kind of lowered my expectations of what we were going to get and we then we got the performance we did and it and it kind of summed up kind of some of my fears uh, it was just so uncoordinated there was just such a lack of rhythm it's it's not. I think the counter to a lot of this is people go well. It's preseason. The result doesn't matter. But we've all watched enough of these pre seasons uh, supporting Chelsea to know at this stage, or at least the stage where we were at when we played Arsenal. You you want to start seeing some positive things. You want to start seeing rhythm. You want to start seeing tempo. Some some connections within the team. A sense that they are growing in fitness. You know, that's the type of performance I expect first game out. You know, that's the, the performance you expect. And, and as Adam said, you know, despite sort of the, the clear support for Chelsea growing in America and the want to expand that from Todd Bowley and the new ownership, um, the heat changing from, from, you know, time zone as well in America, that's something that I think people don't appreciate, you know, uh, because of me and Adam were both out in America kind of at the same time. And it took about a day or two for him to be on the t- same time zone as me so even, that's how big America is so you're not only changing humidity and got, taking all these flights you're also having to change time zone which we know you know even if you're going from the UK to the US how sometimes that's difficult to adapt just if you're not an athlete so um, I, I felt that the preseason is is a big po- bone of contention for me because I, I think that we haven't been doing preseasons right for a very long time uh, the lack of game time I think we could have played more games in Europe you know the next season if we do I'd say start the, the, the tour in America. You do about a week in America. You do two to three games in one location, try and get some good games out there, whether they're locally or get some European teams there, and then come back to Europe and do a load of games. Because I think that probably would be a better preparation where you can have the best of both worlds. And unfortunately, it feels like the preseason has kind of been defined by not really much preparation or, or the feeling that we walked out of Arsenal game with more questions than answers, which is not good.
2: But yeah, obviously after we played Arsenal, we then, you know, came back and we then flew out to Dean for a couple of games against Udinese. Adam, these games and these performances were probably, I guess, more reassuring for Chelsea fans. You know, we won both games. Um, We saw, you know, Reem Sterling, you will get on to in a minute, um, score his first Chelsea goal. Perhaps we saw some more encouraging signs. Um, Just, I guess, your, you know, small takeaways from these two games against Udinese, and is there a sense almost that Chelsea may slightly undercooked in pre-season in terms of, you know, where we are now against Udinese. We might have been like to have got uh, got to at an earlier point and maybe we haven't played as many preseason games as, as ideally. Like when you look at, say, the likes of Arsenal have got, you know, they've played quite considerably more preseason games than Arsenal. They were about four and a half up in 20 minutes in the Emirates Cup today against Sevilla. And I know it's preseason season et cetera, but still just, is there a sense that maybe Chelsea's slightly undercooked and not where they'd like to be? And then your, your thoughts are on the Udinese games.
1: Well, I think uh, Thomas Tuchel spoke after the the first Udinese game and admitted that Chelsea aren't ready yet, and they're still going to have to do a lot of work over the next week. Obviously, it does become a bit more of a balancing act because you don't you you still want to get you know uh, to use a, a Tuchelism, I suppose. Uh, you still want to get kilometres in the legs in these next few days, but you don't want to run the players too hard because obviously there's there's the opening game, and uh, and they'll need to be fresh and and feel fresh for that. Um, what I think that the two Udinese games have done is is lift the mood again, um, because it was uh, a very sombre feeling after that Arsenal game, and, uh, and you know, look, Took himself obviously brought into this of oh, maybe Chelsea won't be ready, maybe they will be massively undercooked. I think the Udinese game you saw, particularly uh, probably in the first hour, there was a real sort of verve to how Chelsea played again. They looked far more energetic. You know, it was night and day with the Arsenal game um which probably highlights again the fact that yeah, maybe a week in Orlando was a bit too much. Um and a week back at Cobham in, in far cooler conditions, ensure that Chelsea were able to put a better performance in um in both games. You know, I didn't think Chelsea were brilliant in the second game, but they got the job done and there were a couple of good performances. So um so I think the Udinese games were very important um just to to bring morale back up for a few players to show that they are ready. Um, obviously, we'll talk about individuals probably more as we go on, but as you say, Sterling got on the score sheet and, and looked very sharp. Mount looked very sharp. Uh, Kante playing in his first pre-season game with the first team was probably the standout performer in that Friday game. Um, and thought Kalidou Koulibaly looked excellent as well. So I do think it has just helped uh, sort of lift everybody before Everton. Um, and there will be a a bit more of an optimistic feeling going into that now because, well, let's face it, Everton haven't had the best of pre-seasons either. Um, I think whilst we were in America, they lost 4-0 to Minnesota United. So, so look, Everton probably aren't in the best shape. Chelsea maybe not in their perfect shape, but you'd expect, with the caveat, Chelsea always seem to lose at Goodison. But you'd expect Chelsea to be ready to go to Goodison and at least try and kick off their season with a win. Yeah.
2: Um, Daniel, I guess, kind of just wrapping up briefly on pre-season... Unfortunately, there were some you know decisions made that probably left us as fans a bit frustrated. Obviously, we saw certain players get trimmed from the main squad in America and then moved to the development squad, while certain other players' places remained there. And obviously, some of that was maybe rectified by the fact that some of those players who were cut then played you know a part in those friendlies against Sudanese, while others stayed at home. But when we're seeing other clubs leave their players who seemingly have no future here at home. How frustrating is it for you? And I guess just in general, but we see these players who have no future here. We pretty much know that still getting a run out in preseason and, you know, taking, you know, potential minutes away from players who could have a future here, who we might be trying to help convince stay, et cetera, with contracts running down, I'm just trying to, you know, show them that, you know, there is a chance at Chelsea. You know, we can try and provide a pathway for them just in general. How frustrating is that to kind of see?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I was halfway through my holiday and I wasn't really paying that much attention to what was going on at Chelsea. And I just, I caught a glimpse of an interview that Tuchel did with Lee Parker out in America. I think they were in Orlando at this point. And they asked him about the players that had been cut and sent home. And the reason he gave was to to keep the level high in training and of course a couple of days later i watched a game against arsenal and it's just it's it's all a bit fast call when you when you're hearing that justification and i'm seeing players still like michy bachwai getting half an hour you know um when we all know all of us know that Tuchel doesn't want him because he was sent out on loan last summer uh it's been made abundantly clear that so many of these players chelsea've been trying to sell or loan out for years and years and years at this point I think it just insults our intelligence and it really does undermine the idea of this summer being a new era or a rebuild that has constantly been used when you are effectively giving minutes to players who, again, have no future at the club, but also their ceiling is so clear that I just, I don't know what Tuchel is doing in terms of his long-term planning for the squad. And it also, I just, I, I think it undermines a lot of sympathy for him when things go wrong. You know, I think there wasn't, and rightly so, I don't think there was a lot of sympathy, sympathy and there shouldn't have been when he starts coming out and moaning about players not wanting to be here after the Arsenal performance. It's like, mate, you, you are playing these players. And again, as we constantly see, there are excuses trotted out for why these players have to play. Oh, we're putting them in the shop window. Oh, Tuckle has to play them, this and that. No, he doesn't. You know, this is a coach who has more influence over Chelsea's transfer dealings than any of his predecessors before. Um, and I think the team probably you're referencing that I saw, or maybe maybe not, is is Antonio Conte experts. You know, he just... And these weren't even like... The likes of Sergio Reguilón. I mean, these are quite recent signings. These aren't players that have been on the books for years and years and years and been loaned out. You know, but he just... He cut them because let's not insult anyone's intelligence here. I don't want you here. You don't want to be here. Let's not try and mess around here. I want to build a squad that is going to be ready for me. Who are the players that are going to be ready for me? at the start of the season and again you just look at the discrepancy between what Tuchel is saying and then you're seeing the likes of Malang Sar gets significant minutes or you're seeing players who should be off to Barcelona still getting significant minutes and I look at the team I look at the way it's being constructed and I do have concerns I have concerns over Tuchel's decision making and I have concerns that again Chelsea are just going to fall into old ways because that's the way things have been done or we feel like we owe these players anything. I mean, I, I know Adam said it in a, in a recent piece he did on Football London, you know, this sort of rewarding mediocrity, you know, and that unfortunately is something that needs, that's a culture that needs to be chopped away, basically. It needs to be cut away because it's it's not helping anyone. I don't think it's helping the players either as well because it kind of becomes a bit of a parody. I mean, I was sat next to a Man City fan, funny enough, in America and an Arsenal fan. And they were turning around to me and saying, is Ross Barkley still a Chelsea player? You know, is this guy still a Chelsea Like they were stunned that these players were still on Chelsea's books. Um, and preseason, this preseason is supposed to bring optimism. It's supposed to bring this sense, this fresh hope. And unfortunately, I think this one has kind of brought up so many old wounds and kind of old frustrations. And really, I'm sure that's something that Todd Bolly and the new ownership didn't want. They didn't want that vibe of kind of the past dragging them back. Um, Some of that, I guess, is kind of hard to avoid because there was so much mess left behind from the previous regime. But still, it it has been frustrating absolutely seeing these players still getting minutes when they shouldn't have.
1: Just on Barkley. um, Sorry, it's it's, it's more a Billy Gilmore point. The decision to send Gilmore away with the development squad was one that surprised people outside of Chelsea and within the squad. And it probably backfired further by the fact Barkley was then actually ruled out because of injury for the Charlotte game um, and the Arsenal game. So there was, there was minutes there for Gilmore um, once they'd actually sent him away. And I think that kind of highlights Daniel's point of you need to have a clearer idea of what you're doing in pre-season rather than sort of trying to work it out as you go because mistakes will then be made and players will suffer and, um, and there will be probably consequences to that going forward.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to kind of leave it there and kind of move on to a slightly happier note. Daniel, Rasmataz. Go, Rasmataz. Go, Rasmataz. We've signed him, Reeves Sterling. Pretty good player. Um, Just your thoughts on the signing?
0: Yeah, it's a wonderful signing, obviously, and uh, really happy, obviously, to start seeing him properly in a Chelsea shirt. I mean, again, only got about 45 minutes out in Orlando, but it against Udinese, you really got a good look at him and surprise surprise we get a good look at him and he looks like a very very good footballer um and he's and he's offering things that i think already you're seeing that we haven't had in an attack for quite a while i mean just the way he's able from a standing position to take out two or three players i mean we i don't i'm not the first person to say this but i mean since hazard i don't think there have been many players who have been able to do that um and I think with both him and Kudabali, they are they are statement additions, but I also think they are good fits, particularly Sterling for what Tuchel wants to do. And you can already see how Sterling not only I think will link up well with say fellow England teammates or just the players in and around him, but also you hope as well mentality and, and his sort of where he's come from, you know, in a lot of ways, he, he has come from the club and the culture that Chelsea want to build. Um, and I think putting that into the current dressing room, whether it helps or hinders players you know if it hinders players in a sense that they have to leave whatever you know it's it but if it helps the likes of mason mount if it if it boosts the likes of kind of the door if he sticks around or if it mostly and this is most importantly starts to fix the attacking confusion we've seen for like two or three years now where we have someone in that attack that you can look at on a consistent basis and is getting chelsea good numbers respectable numbers competent numbers where you're like okay the value we paid for this player makes sense because on the pitch on a regular basis they are offering what we paid for them um and yeah i, I just i I've, you can already sort of see i think it was really encouraging the way both him and mount particularly their movement against Udinese. i found it interesting that sterling looked like he wasn't really playing he sometimes he was playing on the left but he was mostly kind of starting behind mountain habits and he kind of had a bit of freedom to make late runs into the box, you know, drift over to the back post at times. You know, I think that's such a good thing with Mount because he's so intelligent in terms of his positioning. I think those two will very freely rotate in and out of areas. And and Sterling was already able, as you can see, to get himself into goal scoring positions. Uh, which is what he's been doing all of his career. So um am really encouraged by that. And, and I think he's, listen, this is one of this is a guy who has outscored all of our top goal scorers for the last five years, not only in the Premier League, but in all competitions. And and you're bringing in the pedigree of player here who can hopefully uh, improve, I think, Tuchel's biggest shortcoming, which is obviously the final third.
2: Yeah. Adam, Chelsea lost a big colossus of the back and a big personality in Tony Rudiger. Would you say that the signing of Koulibaly is a pretty good replacement for Chelsea to get considering, you know, his status in football, considering how highly he's ranked and, you know, where does he kind of go in replacing Rudiger? Because Tony Rudiger probably in those last 18 months, especially on Tuchel, probably elevated himself to one of the best defenders in the world. And Koulibaly has actually been a name talked about for a long time. He's been a name Chelsea's saw been living with forever. It's actually maybe been a bit of a surprise that during all this time he's just been at Napoli and not... Got that bigger move sooner, but just your thoughts on on the signing of Kaladu Koulibaly?
1: I think if you base it on his performance against uh, Utanese, and and obviously, like with the usual caveat, yeah, pre season, but I thought he just looked like he'd been playing on the left side of that Chelsea back three for years. Um, He was excellent on the ball, really good distribution, um, never never looked shaky at any point, uh, made one excellent interception to stop a counter attack position, he was fantastic. Um, there is very few downsides to this in, in my view going forward. Um, yes, he's 31, but look, we've seen with Thiago Silva at this point that age is not that important if you're an absolutely top-level centre-back, which um, I think Koulibaly is. Um, he'll bring experience, he'll, he'll bring leadership as well to this Chelsea group, but the longer he's in it. Um, and Personally, I don't think and we'll probably get into transfers maybe down the line, but I I don't think he necessarily blocks Levi Colwell in a way uh, that signing someone like Radial would have done, um, who is very similar uh, age to to Colwell. So yeah, I'm very confident that Coulibaly is going to be an excellent signing. Um, He looked so, so comfortable in the team already that you'd imagine he'll be starting against Everton and probably starting the majority of Chelsea's Premier League games if he's fit. So yeah, I, I can't see. And I'm going to sort of temper this with being very optimistic about Romelu Lukaku, but uh, I can't see Koulibaly uh, not having a big impact at Chelsea this season.
2: Lovely, lovely stuff. From one successful centre back purchase to one failed centre back purchase. Uh, I'll stick with you, Adam. Adam, for the last two summers, Chelsea and Jules Kounde have been more on and off than Ross and Rachel from Friends. It has been a very tiring saga, probably quite a frustrating saga to follow, uh, he's gone to Barcelona, Chelsea have missed out. He was obviously, I guess, you know, talking about as I saw that being that right centre-back replacement, I guess, you know, looking about being that Andreas Christensen replacement and, you know, potentially as Cesar Azpilicueta replacement. I guess your thoughts, I know, I think we probably talked about it briefly last summer, <laughs> probably about Jules Kennedy. How big a blow is it, do you think, to miss out on him? And also, what does that do, I guess, for the current squad, for potential outgoings? How does that potentially impact what's going on? And do you think Chelsea still ultimately... Or a centre back shorted, you know, in this squad.
1: Ah, uh, Jules Kounde. Um, I did become incredibly bored of his name. Um Right. Well, Chelsea could have signed Jules Kounde. Probably. Uh, no. Chelsea could have signed Jules Kounde at the beginning of the window if they if they really wanted to. Um A lot of, of groundwork had been put into this deal over the course of well, it would have been nine months. Marina granovsky then moves on. Who was who was leading it? Thomas Tuchel decides that there are other centre backs that he would probably like more. Chelsea try and get those, leave Jules Koundé sort of on, sort of the move him to the back of, of, the, of the stove, so to speak, try and get other players done, don't get other players signed, then decide, OK, let's go for Koundé because we need centre-back. And shockingly, at that point, he was like, well, maybe I don't want to join you if you're not that keen on me anymore. Um, so, yeah, look, Chelsea. I don't think Chelsea handled it very well. Um, <laughs> I'm still not sure Tuchel was 100%. Sold on Kunde, um, but accepted it because he wanted another another centre back in. Um, it, it hasn't happened, and it does have ramifications for the squad because uh, I think had Kunde come in, there may as uh, there may have been an agreement there with uh, with Cesare Pellegrini because I mean, as Pellegrini wants to go, um, he's been an incredible servant for Chelsea. You know, he's been here ten years. He's won everything you you want to win played a, a ridiculous amount of football for Chelsea. Um, and he's got a very nice contract offer on the table from Barcelona. I suspect there's a uh, maybe a hint of frustration on his part that Chelsea have signed Khalidou Kudabadi, a 31-year-old, and given him a, a longer-term contract than they ever offered him, um, given his service as well. So, yeah, had Kunde come in, I, I think uh, Azpilicuerti would have been allowed to go um, for, for a fee. I don't think Chelsea are going to let him walk. Um, but that hasn't happened. Uh, there's obviously lots of links at the moment. Chelsea are exploring a deal for Fafana at Leicester. I'm not sure about that one because the fee that, that Chelsea are going to have to pay. They they may panic too. be They may get to the point where like, well, we need a centre-back. Let's just spend the money and it will be an absolute fortune. And I think Fafana is a very good young defender um, who you, has a lot of traits you'd want for a Premier League centre-back. But, you know, he's still young. Um, so there always is a risk attached to that. But yeah, they're, they're, Chelsea still want to get another centre back in. Um, whether they will at this point, I, th- I think they will because there's this desire to do it. Um, <laughs> it will be, uh, I wouldn't want to guess at this point. Um, and I think it will have impacts on the likes of the, Ethan Ampadu has had a good preseason. Um, Levi Cole has had an injury in preseason, so we haven't managed to see him too much. But there's no doubting his potential. Um, there's a lot you know, there's a month left of the transfer window, but there's a lot for Chelsea still to sort out. Um, And the first domino probably is getting his head back in.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess we'll kind of maybe pivot back to this sort of at the end when we talk about what Chelsea still need to do. Um, Adam, uh, not Adam, sorry, Daniel, Chelsea were also linked with Nathan Ake. And at one point it looked like Chelsea might be, you know, going for Nathan Ake. And again, we kind of maybe be looking at him and again, you, we don't know exactly but you kind of just imagine given what he had a similar, you know a squad role at City but Chelsea might potentially be spending 40 odd million on a player to have a squad role um in, in, to have a squad role here um Levi Caldwell is a player that you know has been mentioned a lot this summer very you know different I guess reports on him about you know his future here etc but what was your just kind of Thinking when you were hearing all these reports and rumours of Chelsea were being linked with Nathan Ake to essentially, where do you imagine have a squad role here when we have someone like Levo Cole, you know, in this squad who is, and I guess the, the, the irony of potentially losing, you know, a a cub academy academy grad to, to 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 bring back a Colman grad Cob academy grad we got rid of seven years earlier.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was baffling. It did kind of feel like. Uh, almost you know a parody you know something that we would have sort of joked about doing you know uh, as kind of an absurd you know Chelsea thing and then it was actually you know in the works and luckily I think Man City saved us from ourselves to be honest in the end by and I think someone one of their attack and one of their defenders I think it I think maybe Laporte or Stones has gone down injured now so it's quite clear why they wanted to keep him But it just made absolutely no sense. Uh, You know, Nathan Aki, I think, would have been a fine, competent defender, but nothing more. Um, And as you say about sort of either, you know, promoting from within, which I think is such a smart move to do in in a summer where you have to do so much in the squad and you're not going to be able to get everything done. Um, that's why I just I, I find the the ease to which we've allowed Ian Matson to leave on loan quite baffling, considering the other backup options you could have had for Ben Sherwell, who doesn't look the sharpest at the moment. Um, you could have given minutes to um, others to Dujon Sterling. who looks like he's going to go on loan as well, and and Nathan Ake just again, it's just it would have been another move that you just kind of shake your head and go what's the long-term value to this deal for Chelsea what, what is the value going to be in two to three years compared to now particularly at a price that would have been comparable to what we pay for Ben Sherwell um, it's it's an amazing stat but you know Ethan Ampadu since the start of the 2020-21 season Ethan Ampadu had more Premier League experience and um, more Premier League sorry appearances than Nathan Ake you know and in one of those seasons Ampadu was in Italy So it just kind of shows you the lack of football that Ake has had since he's moved to Man City. And it's not to say, you know, he's an international, he's played a lot of football. As I say, I think he would have been a fine player. But, you know, in that area, I don't just want placeholders. You know, you want to be trying to move forward as much as you can, or at least you're either buying a Koulibaly who's going to offer you instant experience and quality, or I prefer to promote from within of players who have the potential to become that player in the future. And already, just on the the case of Carwell, you know, it happens every summer, right? For months and months, we're like, Chelsea can't sell this young player. Like, it's absolutely crazy. Why would they? They clearly know the potential of him. And then by the time you get to the summer and like the idea of him leaving, suddenly there there starts to become justifications for it. Well, you know, he'd go for like a Mark Gurhey fee I was hearing from someone yesterday. Um, And it just makes me laugh as that's like remotely acceptable. And like Mark Gurhey was sold for an acceptable fee, you know, 20 million Sounded amazing in 2021 when he hadn't played any Premier League football. You, you fast forward now, Mark. he's not worth 20 million anymore. If he was sold today, if he's sold next year, he will be sold, I'd say upwards of 50 million probably. And it might be Chelsea are the ones buying him back, to be honest, at this point. Um, and it's the same with Cowell There is kind of just no value for me in selling him um, for 20 million because I would bet quite a lot unless he gets a serious injury or really tails off, I think it'd be another case of him being worth double that, or just more than that in in under 12 months. Um, And it's a shame he's got injured. Um, I think that obviously you kind of look at the numbers situation. If if Dave still leaves, I mean, you could feasibly say, do we still bring in two centre-backs or do we bring in one? And then that still offers the route for for Caldwell to play. I agree with Adam that Koulibaly you're hopeful he's here for two to three years at most, and he gives a good level. And the dream scenario is you've got an amazing succession plan there. The amount of football Chelsea play, you have Colwell who can learn off of Silva and Koulibaly. And if Tucker wants to give um, Colwell about 20 appearances next season, he learns from those players. And then you hope by the time two to three years down the line, I mean, um, that, Kapowa was in a position where maybe Chalobah is now, where he's kind of 22, 23, 24, where he can start to really flourish and, and get those minutes. So utterly confusing why we went for Ake. And I, I think it just speaks to the lack of clarity over what Chelsea are doing in the window. I have to be honest, at that first, I was kind of like, okay, I can sort of understand why we're going for this player and that player, but post Koulibaly being signed, it has kind of felt a bit like a mess. Um you know if you wanted Kunde, you should have got that deal done back in may when it looked like it was basically going to be done and we all were sat here expecting him to be the first signing of the volley era then you wait and wait and go for other targets and don't then get that one done and now it's it's i think for farner it's it's you know it's jumping from target to target and it, it's not like all these players offer the same thing i'm hearing pal Torre 's name again you know these are not comparable players they are they are centre-backs who offer you different things and it comes back to that kind of root question we've had at Chelsea in terms of recruitment for so long is like why are we buying a player what what is it that makes this target a Chelsea defender or at least a defender for that coach at the the time they're being bought and I still think until we get a director of football in I think a lot of those questions and and the confusion will remain Um, but I, I do still expect there's going to be at least one new defender coming in I'm just a little bit concerned who it's going to be
2: yeah, Adam. I think Thomas Tuchel kind of mentioned, you know, has mentioned this preseason, that there is the opportunity for someone to do a Trevor Chalghar and Malang and get minutes this year. And I can't remember if that was kind of in relation to a to a question being asked about Levi Coel or, or just in general. But given you know Chelsea still haven't signed another centre back, we have a, we have essentially lost two centre backs, replaced one, and then one we don't know what the future is. You're potentially, as it stands, looking at a back three for Everton of. Trevor Chalabar, Thiago Silva and Kalidou Koulibaly. Probably, I'd say, best-case scenario. I think we'd probably all prefer to see Trev starting in that Ryan centre-back role than Palaqueta. Given, as said, the fact that there is a lot of, you know, we are a centre-back short, that does, you know, you'd think give an opportunity for Levi Cobb. Obviously, we know he plays on the left. Koulibaly can, could move from that left, could play in that, in that central role as well if Thiago Silva doesn't play. So, in theory there is the potential for Levi Cole as it stands to get minutes this year. Obviously preseason has not quite gone to plan for him. He's had an injury, etc. Not we have the game time like there has obviously been talks and there have been links with him with a permanent move away. I know it's it's pretty hard to say, do you have like a gut feel whether you think he will be, you know, involved with Chelsea next season? Do you just, you know, what's your kind of just thoughts then, you know, do you think that, you know, Rear should be have a pretty, you know, maybe not quite, you know, potentially a similarish role to Trev to what
1: he had last season? I mean, I don't actually have a gut feeling at the moment because because of his injury, I guess. It's it's throwing things up in the air a bit more. Um, what I've heard during the summer is, is Levi does want to make it at Chelsea and, and just wants a chance to try and show what he can do. Um, that's probably countered by the fact that, yes, there are Uh, a very, very, there is a very, very long queue of clubs who are willing to stay at leave by Kovalev Chelsea, either on loan or permanently, um, and will offer him guaranteed game time. Um, He's not going around to Thomas Tuchel, knocking on Tuchel's door and saying, I want to play 25 games this season, otherwise I'm going. He's not doing that. He just wants some reassurance that if he does stay, he will be given a fair crack. Um, (sighs) My issue with Tuchel saying it's time for somebody to do a Trevor Chalaba is that Trevor Chalaba was in a very unique circumstance last summer of coming into the squad where there was a lot of players away for pre-season uh, because of the Euros. He was able to, to sort of feed his way in almost getting games, getting performances under his belt. But even then, it wasn't until after the Super Cup that Chelsea did a bit of a 180 on him and said, "Actually, no, you're going to stay," because they still plan to loan him out even until basically the round game. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure how easy um, it is for somebody to do a Levi Cole this summer. To be completely uh, sorry, a Trevor Chalaber this summer. To be completely honest, Levi Cole will probably have the best chance um, had he stayed fit. I think we're all forgetting about Malang Sarr uh, on that left side who is still at Chelsea and is still a Chelsea player and is a little bit older and has that experience that took all. I think probably seems to value more or trust more at least than a younger player without that experience whether or not that's the right thing to do is is a matter of debate um, so yeah I, I'm not sure um, where Levo will end up uh, my hope is that If he does leave Chelsea, it's a loan and there's some guarantees for him coming back next summer and actually being integrated because, as Daniel said, look, you you don't want to make... You've lost Tomori, you've lost Mark Gohe. You don't want to make... This is a mistake mistake for the third time and all the indications are that Levi Carwell is going to be an excellent centre-back who probably plays for England one day. So you do not want to lose another player like that because you haven't maybe had the foresight uh, to really plan your squad for the next two or three years, which, as again as Daniel said, has been Chelsea's problem for a long time. It's all short term. It's all let's get through this window. Let's see what bid arises for for this player. There's no proper structure to how Chelsea have built their squads in recent years, and it has left this very mix and match squad of of Antonio Conte of Mancini of. Frank Lampard of Thomas Tuchel is now trying to influence it as well. So, yeah, you need a clarity of idea. You always do when you're building a squad now. Um, and hopefully Chelsea will get that going forward.
2: Yeah, I guess the one benefit we have is that Colwell's contract has a few more years to run. So Chelsea still, in theory, should have um, a bit more control over that situation. But, Daniel, moving on to you, Biddy Gilmour, a player who, you know, burst onto the scene just before the despair of a pandemic, a bright light just before we were plunged into, you know, despair and misery. A player who probably ever since then has not been handled greatly by Chelsea, a player who's probably been mismanaged and a player who we know is clearly talented. A player whose contract is up in, I think, two years, a player who again has been linked with a permanent move away, a player who was cut from that main squad in America, you know, it was... You know, at that point, things were looking pretty bleak for Billy. Obviously, he did, you know, go on the feature in the games against Udinese. Just your kind of thoughts on Billy Gilmore, how we've, I guess, handled his, you know, career at Chelsea so far and your fears for for what could be be next.
0: Yeah, it's kind of gone maybe a bit under the radar that Chelsea are maybe close to selling him permanently. I don't know how serious that is, but, you know, all indications seem to be that, he's leaning more towards an exit than than staying based on his involvement during pre-season. And it's weird with Billy because you flip back sort of like 12 months ago, maybe a little bit more than that when he made that loan move to Norwich initially, and he just come off the back of some really good performances uh, for Tuchel against the likes of Man City. Um, he starred for his nation at the, the Euros. You know, he got that man-of-the-match performance. You know, you felt like this is a player for the future who's going to get – you know, a lot of minutes and you hope that he has a successful loan at Norwich, gets the minutes he wants. And obviously what happened at Norwich happened and, you know, it, unfortunately it was just a bad environment. Um, and it was it was an environment at a club that just weren't ready for Premier League football. And, and unfortunately, Billy, as a Chelsea player coming in, I think caught a lot of the blame because of that. Um, but that didn't... I think I said this on a podcast recently, like that that loan didn't have to be viewed and defined as a negative experience for his career. In, in a lot of ways, that could be used as quite a good experience, a maturing experience. You know, um, loans aren't always, and, and shouldn't always been, be defined of where you go, how successful the club you play at is. You know, Lorient was, was Trevor Chalaber's last loan before he returned to play for Chelsea. Um, uh, so it, it's more about those minutes, uh, which he did get quite a few, it's weird, with Billy, because before he left on loan, I think a lot of us would have said he's already proven he's probably good enough to play for Chelsea or at least play some part in Chelsea's first-team squad. But it kind of, to me, felt like he had to go on loan for politics for reasons, kind of basically, like, we've got three senior central um, central midfielders in front of him um, that are going to be playing a substantial amount of minutes next season. Um and he kind of, I think, has just been kind of... It's, it's all muddled now, Billy, and this could be another one that just kind of slips through the cracks. And in a couple of years' time, everyone turns around and goes, well, what did Chelsea were doing with, with Gilmore? Why didn't they give him more of a chance? And particularly in that area of midfield, which has been a great concern to me for several years, but you know, it, it looks again like we're going to go for another summer without investment in that area. And I just kind of look at that and go, well, if you're not going to sign anyone... Why not promote someone and add new energy? There's no Sal this year. Um, luckily there you know, there's there's still doubt over Jorginho and Kante's contract situation. Um, so you need to start planning beyond them. You you really do. And and I think that Gilmore, he quite clearly, I think, understands the style of football that Tucker wants to play. I think it suits him, a possession based style, and he's impressed against some very good opposition. We don't know how that year has affected him at Norwich, but I would just like to think he'd get more of an opportunity. Um, it, it I think we've kind of thrown him and Ampadu into the same boat, mainly because we think Ampadu is more likely to play a central midfield role. But I mean, so far, he's kind of played in defence, isn't he? I think he's maybe played a little bit in central midfield. Um, But who knows what happens? And I, and I can only imagine that Frank is maybe pushing hard for him. And would be uh, you you think that, that Frank could very easily sell in the idea of going to Everton and playing week in, week out. Uh when for Tuckle it it's it's hard to really feel that with Kovacic, Kante and Jorginho will fit and even Loftus Cheek that you throw in there as well, um, that he's gonna get substantial money for Conor Gallagher now back in, in the fray as well. I think Tuckle really likes it's hard probably to sell Gallagher that he's um, to sell to Gilmore that he's gonna get real minutes this season at Chelsea which is why a loan or a permanent move may be an inevitability at the end of this window
2: yeah I guess I'm just continuing on with Billy we saw Chelsea unfortunately last year but in the sense of we lost four centre-backs in the space of 12 months in the fact that we sold uh to and Gerhi last summer then by the end of last season it was clear that we'd lost Christensen and Rudiger I guess for a real danger that Chelsea could Repeat that mistake slightly further up the pitch with a fabric and Golo Kante and Jorginho's contracts expire at the end of this coming season. They could in theory lose both, and they could have already then sold Billy Gilmore. And you're again looking at having to replace, do a lot of replacing there, and essentially then, as a result of that, having to hold off doing areas of you know, having to strengthen other areas of the pitch because that is the priority, and which we've kind of seen this summer of Chelsea having to, you know, strength address that centre back. Um, priority which is then member midfield has gone gone uh, unaddressed and then obviously we might be in a you know a similar boat next season but I guess your just kind of thoughts on how Chelsea I guess have handled Billy Gilmore and I guess the threat that in, in a year's time we could have lost three very good we, we could have lost two you know very good experienced players at Chelsea and then one potential player who could have you know stepped in and filled those some of those shoes yeah it's
1: it's it's a concern, uh, and it, you know, it goes back to Chelsea having probably a director of football leading their recruitment, and having a, an idea of where Chelsea need to go over the next maybe two years, and then the next sort of five years, and having actually plans within that. Um, I think. The first sign for me that Gilmore's future is probably a bit more up in the air than, than maybe we expected was the fact that Chelsea triggered an option in his contract um, rather than having a new deal set up for him. Because once you trigger that option, it showed you a that there's probably not very uh, those sort of talks aren't, haven't progressed uh, in terms of trying to keep him longer, and you're just covering yourself. Um, as you say, Gilmore has two years. If he was to go on on loan again this year he'd return with one and, and that leaves Chelsea in a in a awkward position. So I'm not sure unless that there's an extension that Chelsea will sign off on that. Um because they won't want to they wouldn't want Gilmore to go away, have an excellent season somewhere else and return with a year and then hold all the cards. Um so yeah, it's it's a really difficult one actually for Chelsea to, to handle and, and manage and they have to get it right because I think Gilmore, as Daniel said, Gilmore's shown he can handle himself in the Chelsea team at the age of 18, 19. He will only get better with experience. Is he going to... I think I look, at, I look at Gilmore, and I don't want to lump them together because they're very, they are different players, but I look at Gilmore in the sense of the, the way I look at Jorginho. You can see Gilmore's technical ability is, is very, very high. You can see that as he gets older, his appreciation of space um, and, and the, the ability to dictate Chelsea's possession game is only going to improve. Is Billy the most naturally gifted, sort of physically? no. He's not. He does have limitations in that area. But then, look, we've seen Jorginho have excellent games at Chelsea um, and and use his positives to outweigh his physical limitations. So I think there, there's a role to play for Gilmore in, in Chelsea's future, um, potentially quite a big one. And it would be reckless on the part of the club not to get him tied down to a new deal. But whether or not he's willing to do that, we'll see. As, as Daniel said, there is interest there. So yeah, a decision will probably come in the next couple of weeks, I imagine, about what's next.
2: Yeah, uh, and I'll stick with you next one. Armando Broja. Now, this is a player who actually probably has one of the clearer pathways to the first team at Chelsea. You'd certainly like to think, obviously, we mentioned Cole there and we mentioned Billy and Billy has a lot of competition in that Midfield. Cole, there is a lot of defenders at Chelsea. There may be more signed. But Armando Broja's competition from the outside seems a misfiring Kai Havertz and Mitchy Bacuayi. Which I guess is why there's been maybe some confusion of why Armando and there's been links with him wanting to you know move permanently. Chelsea obviously have not been you know have been against that. There were talks of him going to West Ham. That's probably died off now. Seeing the have signed Skamaka. But what's just your kind of thoughts on on the Armando Broja situation? Because he is a player who's Chelsea whose career in general has just gone off so quickly from struggling to score goals in the youth team to suddenly firing to then going to the test and you know breaking a record there for most goals or whatever, you know, by a certain age or whatever. And then, you know, going to Southampton and and looking bright, but also then, you know, maybe tailing off a bit. And now, you know, being potentially a player who could feasibly be, you know, leading the line at some point for Chelsea next year. But then what what is your just kind of general feelings on Armando Brogier and the situation there? Because there is a player who is, you know, seemingly quite liked by a lot of Chelsea fans who would like to see him given a chance and who seemingly their their chance could be there. But the player himself from the outside seems doesn't actually seem
1: that big on taking that chance. My gut feeling on Breuer at the moment um is that he'll end up staying because Chelsea want a lot of money for him um and he's on a longer term deal. So Chelsea have the the sort of the power in this instance and they don't have to sell Breuer if they don't want to. Um, from what I understand, you know Breuer was 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 keen on West Ham. Um and uh, you know we, we've spoken about this on streams we've done on Football London. There's an element to Breuer that he's had a, like you say, he, he had a good little spell at Southampton and then his form tailed off. Now, if someone's offering you a good contract, a long-term five-year contract at the age of 20, um, that essentially sets you up for the rest of your life, of course it's something you have to consider because if Breuer goes out on loan this season again and doesn't have a great season, those offers are not there and that that sort of ability to make money in your career dips and that does you know you have to remember that players are, are people and they have you know security or life securities they want to they want to have so I could understand why Breuer was was open to West Ham um obviously as you say, they've signed Scamac so that that option's now not really there um there is interest in him from other clubs but nothing hard at the moment um and the sort of the fat team of Verna looks like he may move on on Lukaku's gone. Kai Habert's not really taking his chance in, in pre-season. Michi Bachiwa, you don't really expect him to be around the first team squad anyway. It, there does seem to be a path that's open for him at Chelsea if he wants it. Um does he do everything that Thomas Tucker would want from a number nine at the moment? No. I don't think his off the ball work is probably at the level that Tucker would want um or expect probably. Uh but there's no doubt he's a goal threat. You know, like I say I watched a game against Udinese this morning. He played 45 minutes. He had four chances. Um, and that's probably more than most of Chelsea's attacking players in preseason combined. So he has that instinct of, of, of in the penalty box. And that's probably something you cannot teach to a player. they ever have it or they don't. So, yeah, my gut feeling at the moment is he stays because Chelsea won a lot of money. The interest isn't as strong as it uh, may have been earlier in the summer. And you know, a bit of a pathway's opened up for him where Tuchel may even, you know, be telling him, actually stick around here because I think we'll get minutes for you and, and if you take them, who knows where your career goes.
2: Yeah, I guess Daniel, if only there was a English striker that had broken records in Italy, but we're still on Chelsea's books, you <laughs> could that could have been a decent option to have there? But just quickly, um Ambrosia again, you know, a player who you know seemingly you know highly rated who could leave the line so I guess how key is it that we keep him around at Chelsea even if he's maybe not you know he's not the finished article he won't be the finished article for a little bit but how key is it that we keep him around considering you know said the other areas that need addressing
0: yeah I think I think it depends on again do Chelsea go out and try and sign another attacking player I mean it's how many actually leave for the rest of the window I mean Ziyech, Werner, Pulisic, I think all three of them probably still have question marks. I'd probably say more realistically, Werner and Ziyech are the two that look like. So if both of them leave, I mean, you're kind of looking at numbers and going, we may still need another player. we we'll either keep Harvey Vale or you go out and buy someone else. But in terms of that central striking role, um, the the opportunity is, is 100% there for Borussia this, this season. I found it interesting just watching him against Udinese, how big he is. I it, 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 Like... He is a tall player and I was up against unless my picture was wrong, like the um, up against like him and Ruben were standing near each other. I think they were celebrating after the first goal. And I was like an imposing player still at a young age. And you think in the Premier League with his also his speed, that's a, a big attribute to have as a Premier League striker. He is raw he's not the finished article as adam pointed out he went through quite a barren spell when southampton kind of tailed off and there is a concern that his best moments for southampton came in areas where chelsea don't really play or at least you know because southampton are are ever able to play in more space you know when they come up against teams who want to attack them a bit more you know how does he operate when for most of the time chelsea dominate the ball and you have to play in tighter areas. You have to deal sometimes with not having the ball, um, and you can't just run into space kind of in the channel. But at the same time, I look at other players in his area this preseason who have not taken their opportunity in any remote way, and I'd, you know, I'd look at Broser and go like a bit like Chalabar. A situation may just arise because Chelsea can't get deals for other players and others leave, and suddenly a door just opens. And particularly if Tuchel is not going to be enamoured by other youngsters, I think you've just got to take this opportunity right right here and now because you could get significant minutes. Um, particularly, you know, it's a World Cup year. The amount of football that has to be played, the five subs, the amount of rotation we saw last season, I think is only going to continue at the top class because it kind of has to. Because when you're playing back-to-back Champions League weeks, particularly in that autumn period before the World Cup, where Chelsea are probably going to be travelling pretty frequently as well um, there are going to be moments where Brozier if he sticks around is going to be a player that that gets opportunities um, no one I think no Chelsea fan should expect him to come in and bag 20 goals um, because I think that's probably unrealistic but at the same time with a better quality of player around him compared to Southampton um, with that trust and confidence in him you, you never know what could happen right and Chelsea again could save themselves a lot of money in the future by, by promoting from within. And uh, yeah, I, I think that he should stick around now because the, the priority should be for me, new defenders, wing backs, um, and even potentially a central midfielder. If that, if that opportunity arises as well, um, I, I think that attacking any attacking additions, I think post Ream Sterling are probably f- further down in the pecking order now for Chelsea, quite obviously. So, and um, the, the position could be there and, and you never know if, if, if a few players get injured, a more significant role could could arise during the season.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in,
2: Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at
1: com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's com slash special offer.
2: Yep, Adam, I guess this general conversation this last little bit has maybe been slightly more doom and gloom than, you know, we might have, we might have liked. But this mood and the situation around Chelsea is very different to that one of a year ago. A year ago, Chelsea were off the back of being European champions, it doesn't really get much better than that. They'd signed Romelu Lukaku, which was seemingly thought as the final piece of the jigsaw to fire Chelsea um, to the level where they needed to get to. This year, they've lost two big centre-backs. They've replaced one, still haven't replaced the other. The attack that there were hopes, you know, would fire still has not fired. There's players in that team who still have failed to reach their potential and and deliver on on their promise and their price tags. Pre-season has not been the smoothest. The mood around Chelsea is, it's an interesting one, I suppose. It feels really hard to, 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 to tell because there's honestly part of me that thinks this could just implode so quickly out of fifteen, sixteen. But then there's also part of me that just thinks, you know what, Chelsea are just still going to get top four. So what's your, just I guess, we'll get on to predictions a bit later, but what's your just kind of general feeling around like, you know, the mood in general around the club and the state that Chelsea are in right now?
1: I think, what happens in August is going to be hugely important. Um, more off the pitch than on. Um, as Tuchel himself said, there are a lot of players in this Chelsea squad at the moment who want to leave. Um, it looks like Kepa going to go to Napoli. Cesar Azpilicueta, Bar- uh, uh, Azpilicueta wants to go to Barcelona. So does Marcus Alonso. Hakim Ziyech uh, is open to Milan. Christian Pulisic isn't necessarily happy with his role in the squad. Timo Werner uh, wants to move on uh, for a similar reason to Politic in terms of he doesn't feel like he's going to get enough games. You've got the questions about Jorginho and Kante. <sighs> there's a lot, and, and you know that's even before you get into the will, Ampadu, Breuer, Malangsa, Emerson. There, there, there's there's so much uncertainty at the moment in, in terms of the squad and who Chelsea bringing and, and who moves on that I don't think we'll get a clear read on what Chelsea can achieve this season until probably September the 1st. And that's not ideal because I think Chelsea have four games before then, um, the Premier League, because it is such an early start. Um, But it's probably the fair way to look at it because until then, you don't know which players are going to be here. You don't know know the mentality of the players that end up staying, I think is probably going to be the, the more important thing. How does... For instance, how does Saúl Ñíguez react if he doesn't end up joining Barcelona? How does Marcus Alonso react? Who, let's not pretend otherwise. There's question marks about Marcus Alonso in the past. Like, let's see how he reacts um, if if Christian Pulisic has to stay. Does he get his head down and work hard? Uh, if he has to stay, does does he do the same? And these are all questions that we're only going to get the answer to in time. Um, and. The Chelsea dressing room is not always an easy place to to handle uh, and manage. You know, look, historically and and even during Frank Lampard's tenure, you know, there were players who who made it difficult because they weren't playing. And Thomas Tuchel has got more experience than Frank Lampard. Um, he may be a better man manager than Frank Lampard, um, but he, you know, he is a strong character. Thomas Tuchel. He does not suffer fools gladly. And he's not particularly afraid of telling people publicly if he's not happy with something. So the ingredients all feel there, as you kind of say, for a, a very trademark Chelsea fall apart quite critically. But the hope is obviously that things start well, players get the moves they want, Chelsea get the signings they want. Everyone's happy. The squad's harmonious place and that uh, the season can still be a promising one. But it's not going to be easy. I mean, you look at what Tottenham have done, you know, we'll talk about this more predictions, but Tottenham have had a very good summer. Arsenal obviously smashed Chelsea and Orlando and have put six past Sevilla uh today. Um look very good. United are a bit bit of a question mark, but you've got Liverpool and City, of course. So the top four battle next season looks like an incredibly difficult one. Um and Chelsea won't want to lose ground early on, but as I said, I think Come back to me at the beginning of September and I'll give you a stronger feeling where I am uh, with this season. Fair
2: enough. Um, Daniel, yeah, as I said, this season, it feels last year there was kind of, I guess, an expectation that Chelsea would kick on a level. And certainly in those first few months, we did. And we suddenly saw early in the months of the season characteristics of a team that could win a Premier League title, i.e. that result at Anfield with 10 men, etc. And we saw these signs. This summer, it's it's also a new era. We're in uncertainty, you know, so that, that in itself brings uncertainty. But it really feels so hard to predict what this Chelsea season could be because, they said, they've made two good signings, you know, two signs on paper, which are good, which should improve this team. But a lot of those problems still remain. There's still other areas that have not been addressed. We're also, I guess, you know, being cynical, we're kind of at the average lifespan of a Chelsea manager. Certainly what, we, what we've known of Chelsea in the last 20 years. And obviously it's a new era, so we don't know how that will change what's your just kind of general feeling your kind of mood around Chelsea this season because it's it feels quite on edge and you just feel that all of a sudden if Chelsea do not get get off to you know that quick start that they did last season it could get quite toxic quite quickly
0: it does feel tense uh I, I think that that's that's the best way to describe it I think that there was a lot of things obviously the The sanctions, the change in ownership, the uncertainty that dominated and I think exhausted everyone by the back end of last season, uh, didn't help things. I think that the the departure of Lukaku, I think, is can be a big plus, but can also be a big negative because there's no longer someone to kind of (laughs) Adam Maccasie's face knows where I'm going with this. There's no longer someone who everyone can kind of inject their negativity towards, which kind of happened with Lukaku at the back end of last season. Um, unless people are going to blame Lukaku in, at the San Zero, I mean, I, I don't, unless people got so obsessed with him that, that that will become the thing when things start going wrong. There's going to be no one to kind of point the finger at next season when things start going wrong. And that's where I think Tuchel can either use that, Power he had in terms of able to being able to resolve that situation and getting that player out of the club, which I think was the best case scenario for everyone involved. Or, if things don't start to improve, I think that the things start to stack up pretty quickly. I think that people will start to look at. I'm mainly talking about the attack here because I think that's where a lot of people's frustration and concern has been. Uh, Particularly as well, if the defence starts to lag behind as well, which we we saw at the back end of last season, it started to drop the levels defensively. And all the concern over the number of bodies we have in that area after Christensen and Rudiger left, is you start to add things up against Tuchel. Uh, You start to look at his treatment of Tammy Abraham. You start to look at everything that went wrong with Lukaku. If after the investment on Raheem Sterling and maybe the investment on someone else, if those problems start to add up, I think that there will be less sympathy, Uh, particularly with a coach who suddenly has a lot of influence um, and everything that's been briefed, everything that's been said, everything that's been seen so far is that Tuchel has a lot of power over Chelsea's transfer business. He says as much that he almost doesn't like the influence he has, Um, but it's very easy now to judge where this team's going based on the coach, because the coach is obviously having a massive hand in, 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 defining where this club is going at least for this summer until we get director of football in so it is on a knife edge and I think that some of the decision making that Tuchel has 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 gone through with I don't think has helped his situation and his cause Uh, as we spoke about earlier in terms of the young players um, I think if you start selling off the likes of Lee by Caldwell um, you know I think if certain players who should have been sold um, and have made it abundantly clear they don't want to be here anymore or players who I think should have been sold off a long time ago who have disrespected the coach in in his own dressing room remained and keep on playing because they're experienced and things start start to go wrong I think that the 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 tension there will only boil and and continue to grow I think and and I but that as Adam said can all change I think there's a lot of confusion and unknowns at the moment if we go to Everton and win there for the first time in five years and if we beat Spurs at home you know, obviously we know results can kind of change the mood very quickly. I guess my concern is because it's such a frantic season with the World Cup, I'm not quite sure how that's going to impact Chelsea. Is it? Is the chaos going to actually help Chelsea in a quite an uncertain season or is it going to do the opposite? Is it really going to destabilise us? So until that, I'm kind of I want to see how the team performs. I want to see Tuchel's decision-making because there were decisions he made at the back end of last season that really confused me. Um, So I'm really intrigued to see if, if he doesn't get, say, all the players he wants and he can't sell all the players he wants and he has to make a decision between, say, using a young player over an older player who should have been sold. That's that's going to be an interesting, I think, debating point next season, in my opinion. And as well, with no Lukaku, how he fixes that attack, I think is a massive, massive question mark.
2: Yeah, yeah. And obviously, we kind of talked about how the mood and how it could change. You, Daniel, mentioned there different scenarios there. Obviously, looking at Chelsea, Chelsea play five fixtures in August. And, you know, Adam said, ask me, you know, in September. Well, there's five games before Chelsea start there. And Chelsea start off their season at Goodson Park, a ground where we notoriously never win unless we're winning the Premier League. So I guess on match day one, we will know if Chelsea are winning the Premier League or not. But then second after that is Spurs at home. Now, Spurs is a game but we always do very well in. However, Daniel, Spurs, you know, it feels it feels almost like Spurs in a way comes a bit too early for us this season. In fact, their second game of the season, they've run players, you know, they've left players behind. Conte has had time to build his squad. After that, we then go to Leeds in a game but we don't know what could be. You know, it will be different circumstances to last season, They, you know, they won't be battling relegation just yet. The mood could be very different. You know, they've just stayed up. They might sign some players. Then after that is Leicester at home, a game where, again, in recent years, Leicester at home is, is far from a foregone collusion. I think we've probably only won one of the last four or five against them. And then Southampton away midweek, which is, again, what Southampton will you get? Because Southampton, it depends what point of the season you play them. So those first five, five games, on paper, they're certainly a lot kinder than last year, where we had, I think, Arsenal... Arsenal, Spurs and Spurs and Liverpool away in those first six as well as Man City at home. So on paper it's a lot kinder but it also just feels on those feet. There's a lot of games there, but a lot of slip-ups where it could potentially happen what would be like a good a good points total I guess from those five games to leave Chelsea in a fairly, you know, decent healthiest position.
0: I mean you want to be getting over 10 I think from that um for me personally. Uh it's hard to know with Spurs uh, because I think there's a lot of optimism around Conte, but we know with Conte, how bit I like took how, you know, how easy things could go wrong there. So I think the, the overall optimism on Spurs winning the league this year, I I'm quite happy with it at the moment, because I think that it puts a lot of pressure on Conte, um, which maybe he enjoys, but I, I think that if things start to go wrong, there, we know how quickly things can implode at Spurs historically, but also I think with Conte. Um, and you sometimes wonder with Chelsea, I like bigger games earlier in the season because we seem to just turn up for big games more. Um, it's those kind of bankable games where you're more concerned sometimes with Chelsea. And I think with all those games, there's a few teams within their lead Southampton, um, Leicester, you mentioned who will probably give Chelsea a bit more space earlier on in the season. I mean, Southampton love giving Chelsea space. I mean, it's, it's one of those rare games in the season where, uh, Chelsea are able to kind of use some of their players who are pretty useless for the, for the rest of it. But, you know, they are, they have half a pitch to run into suddenly and they look pretty decent. Uh, so it's a pretty Bundesliga game, that one. So do
1: mean,
0: we, that? I, I don't know who you're talking about. Just, I'm just, it's just, just a general thing. Um, I mean, will that player even be here by the time we face Southampton? Who knows? But anyway, uh, I think that with Everton, Everton's such a weird one because we, something seems to go wrong when we go. It's a bit like Newcastle. We seem to go up to Everton and lose all sorts of substance of rhythm and confidence in our play. We just can't seem to get into a flow at Everton. And I think that Frank, the unfortunate thing is, I think Frank will just use the same tactics he used last time. I think... You know, because he he knows a lot of the players so well, and I think he he will try to stop the ball getting to Mason Mount, which obviously is such a key thing. He'll stop trying to get the ball to Rhys James. I think if certain players, if Marcus Alonso appears at left wing back, I think he'll try and target him. You know, there are things that Frank I think did very well last time um, that that stopped Tuchel playing. So it's it's going to be a hard one. I it's just so difficult for me to predict, to be honest, because again, as Adam brought it back to we don't have a complete squad there are there are unfortunately too many unknowns about what the, the shape of the attack is going to be who's going to still be here at the end of of, of September or at the end of August that it's very hard for me to then take that and then go well what are the game's going to look like because those if so many players as well maybe coming back into fitness and and a wanted to give them different minutes it's hard to gauge what those teams are going to look like as well in in the lineups and and how that could impact things so I would say I'm I'm going to be a little bit more cautious. I think that you'd like to think maybe we can stay undefeated in those five games, uh, maybe three wins, two draws, potentially. Um, you get a sense that I think Spurs and Leicester are the two that I could see us drawing. Um, but I think it took us to start winning home games because our home form last season was terrible. Um so if he can win a big one early on like spurs i think that would really you know you could think about the mood of post spurs if we win that game um i think that the the mood around stanford bridge would be massive because spurs is always such a big game in, in chelsea fans for chelsea fans during the season uh but again if it doesn't go right um that mood could very easily turn so i agree with you there are a lot of there's a lot of fear i think naturally and and anxiety about the new season which unfortunately shouldn't be the case going into a new season but that, that's the way it is
2: yeah adam as i said there's fixtures there that on paper are, are fairly decent but also have so much potential you know banana skin written all over them given how given we know given how we know what chelsea are like i guess for you is it a kind of something daniel just stay unbeaten from those first five games it doesn't necessarily have to be the most glamorous doesn't have to be amazing but it's almost just you know try and get off to not a disastrous start and just kind of just be in a, a fairly healthy-ish position, you know, first five games where hopefully then from, you know, by the end of it, the overall score is sorted and we're in a healthier state than we are the, uh, from when we kick the season off.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably the way you have to look at them. I mean, I'm probably a bit more optimistic about Everton uh, than normal because it is the opening day. Yeah, there'll be this feeling of, yeah, great, a new season. But, I mean, at Goodison Park uh, in May, it must have been, it was a very uh, emotional atmosphere, very highly charged, and Everton fed off that. I'm not sure there'll be that same level of emotional input from Everton supporters for an opening day of the season game. And Chelsea do have a lot more quality than Everton. Um, it's not been an easy summer for them. Obviously, they've lost Richardson. They've had to really try and, and build a, a sort of and or refresh the squad on quite a strict budget. We'll see if a Chelsea player maybe is there by that point. Um, there's a few linked with, with Goodison Park moves. Um, so, yeah, I'm probably a bit more confident about Everton than, than maybe Daniel. Tottenham is the one that really concerns me because Antonio Conte is Antonio Conte and has absolutely ran the Tottenham players into the ground in pre-season. So they're absolutely as fit as they could probably be. Um, and I had maybe a tune-up game for, for the opening weekend. So, yeah, that's the one that concerns me most. Um, just because, speaking to, to my colleague Alistair Gold, you know, he says that Tottenham have never probably been in a better position in the pre-season um, in terms of having their signings done, the fitness of the squad. So I'm nervous about that one uh, because Conte will want to prove a point as well, given how... How oh, easily. Chelsea beat Tottenham three times in, in, in January last season. So, so yeah, that's the one that concerns me. I think Leeds will probably be all right. Leicester's an interesting one because they haven't signed anyone uh, this summer yet. Yeah, they're the only team in the top five leagues in Europe not to have signed someone. So there is a maybe a feeling of stagnation there. Um, we'll see if they still have James Madison because Newcastle trying to get him. Uh, and obviously, Fafana is Chelsea's potential target as well. Um, and then Southampton, as Daniel says, look. It ends up like a Bundesliga game where they decide to put their defensive line about 10 yards inside Chelsea's half and Chelsea just run past them. So you'd kind of expect that to be an easier one, um, even though I don't think Timo Van will probably be here at that point to, to get his customary goals against Southampton. So that'll be disappointment, disappointment uh, for Daniel, I'm sure.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm gonna round it off by just having, you know, making some predictions now for the season ahead. Like we did last year. I'm gonna ask everyone for his following predictions. So Daniel, I'll start with you in order. Who is your top four for the Premier League this season?
0: Uh top four Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs.
2: Adam.
1: Yeah, same clubs. Pro uh, maybe Chelsea fourth, Tottenham third.
2: Yeah, I'm leaning the same with Adam, but again, that could, as I said, with a caveat. Spurs have got two games a week. If we'll, get we'll get it on goal League We'll
1: get it on goal difference. Go- it's yeah. the Conte effect, isn't it? Basically, yeah, it That's is. What everyone's afraid of.
2: But also, I think we're aware that he have Champions League football, playing two games a week. We'll see how we will see how that affects that score because we saw in his second season at Chelsea, playing two games a week, it was more of a struggle. But Spurs is there the potential one. It's quite interesting. You know, we kind of said how oh, impressive Arsenal. Well, I guess we're saying United, Are we saying it's probably almost like too much for them to bridge that gap. There's a bit of a mess there. they obviously got the Ronaldo situation. And then Arsenal, again, maybe also for, they've got to play two games a week now. They played, you know, they couldn't get Champions League football playing one game a week last week. So it's going to be a lot harder playing Europa League. Is that kind of where we're thinking with those two missing out?
1: Yeah, I still think they've got a younger group. Um, but hey, look, they, they've had a great pre and and they did push Chelsea at points last year. So... I don't think they'll be far off. Fair enough. Uh, Adam, I'll with you.
2: Which of the three teams are going to get relegated?
1: Oh, my God. Um, genuinely haven't even thought about this at this point. Um, I think Nottingham Forest, because I'm not 100% certain why they've signed. I know they had players on loan last season, but they seem to have signed about 14 now, um, which seems too much for me. Maybe I'll be proved wrong. Uh, Fulham as well I would say and I'm going to throw in a wild card of Brentford because I think Brentford were starting to struggle last season and then they signed Christian Eriksen and it all flipped but he's now not there so that's going to be sort of my wild card a team to get sucked into it. Fair enough, I'm not going to say you you stole my Brentford prediction Adam but yeah, fair enough. Uh, Daniel, who do you
2: think will get relegated?
0: Uh, Leeds, Bournemouth and Fulham
2: Fair enough, yeah I think Fulham, I'm going to go, will get relegated. Unfortunately, they are just that team. They are essentially them and Norwich are just on rotation, just up. You know, we kind of know what to expect. Bournemouth is interesting because Scott Parker, as manager, he's not, you know, he's shown his skills in the, in the championship. He's not kept a team up in the Premier League. But Bournemouth will have their, you know, I guess their six points or four points to cash in against Chelsea. So we'll see if they cash in the others elsewhere. I'm saying Brentford as well, similar to Adam, because I think Christian Eriksen is a huge loss to that team. A huge source of cre- loss of creativity. You said they were really on the downward spiral till he came in last year, and then won them games. And I, again, I I mean, I've not paid close attention to their recruitment, but I don't think they've necessarily done amazing recruitment. And then, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I think Forrest will stay up actually. No, I'm going to say Bournemouth. I'm still going to say Bournemouth will go down. I, I have a Bournemouth, Fulham, and um, someone else. That's it. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> Next question is, how will Chelsea fare in the following competitions? So how will Chelsea fare in the League Cup, the FA Cup and the Champions League? Obviously, we know Daniel's had Urban coming third and Adam might have come fourth. So, Daniel, some of you, how will Chelsea fare in the League Cup this year?
0: It's going to be a mess, isn't it? Because I think they've got to get so many games done before the World Cup happens. Um, I think we can get to the final again, whether we actually win it um, or lose it on penalties to Liverpool. I'm not sure. Um, I let's say we win the league cup because we haven't won it for so long um, and you want to have one of the domestic cups uh, but I listen this is such stupid punditry but like it really does come down to the draw doesn't it yeah. it's like if you know it, we've had it we, we got knocked out a few years ago because we got Spurs in like the fourth round Um, so and with the FA Cup Chelsea seem to just get a walk through to basically the semi-final so it's uh, on both France I think Chelsea shouldn't be going far um, so just a to, to couple I know you asked me about League Cup but I think on both I'm going to be quite similar uh, I think we can get to the final of both um, but I'll say let's win the, the League Cup because we haven't done it for so long
2: so Daniel just to be clear are you saying Chelsea will lose a fourth FA Cup final in a
0: row this year <laughs> no I think we'll lose a quarter final this year okay
2: um, yeah but, but that'll be easier to swallow. and the Champions League how do you think Chelsea will go in the Champions League last year because obviously last year got to the quarterfinals were so close to, to reaching the semifinals. And I guess in general, Chelsea, is probably also just a case of, again, just kind of almost building on just showing they belong at this top level of the competition, really.
0: Yeah, I think the last day is kind of mandatory. I think you have Chelsea now have to make it a pretty regular thing of just now getting to the last day and then hoping you get a decent draw. Um, I'll go semifinal uh, this year, I think. You get to the semi-final of the Champions League, I think you've done pretty well. I I really do. And um, as we saw in 2021, we had a decent route to the final and you're just kind of hopeful from there. I think that's just kind of my base level. I I think that the years of us just getting knocked out at the last 16 uh, should really be a thing of the past. And I I think that's, that's, that's something that probably the ownership wants as well. You don't just want to be in the Champions League. I think you want to be competing in it as well. You want to be seen as one of those top European clubs, the top four, the top eight. Um, and, and and hopefully we can get there again. So I'm going to be optimistic. I think we can go one further than last year and say uh, the last four.
2: Adam, your predictions for the League Cup, FA Cup and Champions League?
1: Uh, League Cup. The League Cup's really strange, isn't it, this season? Because I want to say for memory, there's only two rounds Chelsea have the potential to be involved in before the World Cup. So you've got the third round and the fourth round, and then you've got the World Cup, and you've got the quarterfinals in January, I think it is. So it's a very sort of weighted competition towards the back end. So it kind of depends what happens at the World Cup, if anyone gets injured, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, my suspicion is Chelsea might palm off the Carabao Cup, League Cup this season a little bit um, based on that. And if Chelsea get through to the latter stages, then suddenly it becomes serious. Um, so maybe quarterfinals and then we'll see. Um FA Cup, yeah, I think Chelsea can get to the final of that again. Um, especially seeing as there's this sort of rule that Chelsea have to play championship clubs until the quarterfinals or semi finals at least. So um yeah, why not say another FA Cup final? Hopefully they win it. And Champions League, I agree, sort of echo Daniel, you know, it is, it is mandatory that Chelsea get to the quarters now. Um I think they probably will. all shown that for one off games. He can devise a game plan, and the players can carry it out. That nearly nails it down. Um, you know, obviously the Bernabeu, the performance for eighty odd minutes was was absolutely impeccable. So, yeah, I think semi-finals, Champions League, final for the FA Cup and the League Cup. Let's just see what happens with the World Cup, and make a decision in January how important it is.
2: Yeah, fair enough. I'm gonna say that we're gonna accidentally find ourselves in a League Cup semi-final this year. We're just gonna we're gonna draw games and we're just gonna get through on penalties like we did last year uh to that. The FA Cup, I'm gonna be optimistic and say we'll win it because I think we've got to win a trophy this year, and I think that's the most realistic. Champions League, I'm gonna say quarterfinals again. I just think you know that might be where we where we where we get. Obviously, if we get a kind draw, drawback it could change. Um so right, like last year player to look out for this season someone who will be a dark horse in this chelsea squad so someone who's gonna you know have a big season but we maybe don't don't actually not you know not quite sure we're not quite sure of their future here uh daniel i'll go to you first
0: this is this is purely based off of recency bias of watching him against Udinese, uh ruben lofuscheek um i think he may end up being a good utility player again because Chelsea can't get other players in and he looked really sharp against Udinese. He looked like a player who wanted to do something. Um, he literally, I mean, they kicked off in the second half and he just literally ran forward, like got the ball and and sprinted forward instantly, won the penalty for the second goal. And just all round, I think looked like someone that maybe knows that this is his final opportunity to really make something of himself at Chelsea. Uh, probably an outside one. Cause I think a lot of people probably go for a younger player. Um, but I just think maybe him and the way Tuchel used him last season in interesting ways, he could become more of a wing-back than a central midfielder. Uh, but if Chelsea at some point were to move to a 4-3-3, I, I always think that's probably his best formation on the left of a 4-3-3. So you never know, he could get good good game time there. So I'm going to go Ruben.
2: Adam, your player to look out for this season, such a dark horse?
1: I mean, Ruben's a good shout because there's a lot of players who we don't know if it's going to stay or not at this point. And uh, the other players that you probably do know staying are pretty established. So, um, yeah, I think probably Ruben. We'll um, see if Trev Chalaba can step up again and, and really, really establish himself in this squad as somebody who'll be around at Chelsea for a long time. Um, so probably those two. And also, you know, let, let's throw in Conor Gallagher as well. He's back. He, he has a challenge on his hands because that midfield of Kante, Jorginho, Kovacic, I mean, Kante looked great against Zubnese. Jorginho's had a decent enough preseason, season and, and Kova was very good in the second game against Udinese. So it's not going to be easy for Gallagher to really jump ahead of these guys. But he showed um, in the game against Udinese why he's different to these midfielders, he has a goal threat. He does pop up in the penalty box. And uh and look, if there's an injury, if there's an injury or two in that midfield, somebody, you know, come kind of gets a lot of minutes and, and can probably step up and, and show people why Tipple is so keen to have him in the squad. Fair enough.
2: Yeah. Player to look out for this season slash dog course. Presuming he stays, I'm gonna throw in Armando Broja just because I just think I don't see a world where Kai Havertz suddenly snaps into gear this year and bangs in twenty goals. So I think he could have an opportunity uh to to really, you know, be a dark horse and make that place his own. But I think Ruben Cheek is a very good shout as well. Uh, who will win Chelsea's Player of the Season? Daniel, I'll start with you. Who will win Chelsea's Player of the Season?
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go Mace and for a third year because I, I think that'd be pretty damning.
1: So if it's a fan vote again... It will probably be
0: Mason Mount. No, I'm going to go for Reese James uh, because I think that if Reese would have stayed fit, he would have been right in the running based on his his actual game time last year. Uh, and I f- hopefully, fingers crossed, he does stay fit because I think that he'll he'll be right up there uh, based on performances. Um, but again, it, it's it's about people stepping up to Mason because other than Thiago Silva last year, or at least players that are still here there weren't many serious contenders. There weren't many players that you looked at and went consistently week in, week out. This is someone who stood above everyone else. Uh, so I think Mason will be in the running. You'd like to think that Raheem Sterling will be in the running, and Kupula Bali will be in the running as kind of new signings if if, if they can be really integral players. Uh, but I'm going to go for Rhys James because I just had that feeling at the back end of last year. Um, I also think creatively, his kind of input in the team and how the team is going to click moving forward, I think it's going to be so important. Um, so if he stays fit, if he has the, if he can, not improve on last last season's numbers were ridiculous, really. Um, but if he can continue to prove to be one of the uh, Europe's, you know, most productive wing backs or full um, and I just think his natural talent will obviously mean people will look out for him. I think a lot more. Uh, so I'm going to go for Reese.
2: Fair enough, Adam. Who's going to win Chelsea Player of the
1: Season? I mean, It'll be Mason Mount, won't it? I mean, like, <laughs> I think Thiago Silva should have won it last season. And Same. he had my yeah. vote, but Mason still won it. And if Mason has a solid season again where he posts double figures in goals and assists, like fans will vote for him. Um, would
0: he be the first player to do it three times in a row?
1: Potentially. Potentially. Yeah. I'm uh, um, well, not sure what I would twice, say. But... Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what my, I would say about the rest it, of the it, squad. Right, if he yeah. wins it three but, but times it also, it also says something for Mason's popularity among uh, especially you know the match goes for so look I think as Daniel said I think there's a chance Sterling wins it um, if he settles in quickly which he, he looks like he might have done I'm going to say it's not going to be Mount even though it might end <laughs> up with, I'm going to say it's going to be N'Golo Kante because Kante is going to stay injury free and it's going to have an absolutely phenomenal season and yeah. that will probably not happen, but that's what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, that I would have made that prediction last year. He said if if he stays fit, Kante will win Chelsea Perry every year, and he did You've not got stay the fit. golden
1: caveat forever. Like you just got if he stays, <laughs> he stays fit. fit. If he stays <laughs> fit, can yeah. will win it because of how important he is. But, yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. Last year I said Mason Mount would win Chelsea Fair every season and he did. Uh, so I'm going to stick with him again. I'm going to say he's going to <laughs> win it three years in a row. Simple as. Again, Thiago Silva should have won it last year. Thiago Silva was robbed in my mm. eyes last year, and I love Mace. But Thiago Silva was robbed last year. Mm. But I'm going to say Mace will win it. Uh, players or player or players who need a big season. Daniel, I might have a. I think I might know your answer to this. But I, go
1: on. I might nip away for twenty minutes.
0: Yeah, so. <laughs> um No, um, I think there's only one answer for me um, because. A lot of players we've been speaking about, um, we don't know what they're going to do in their future. Like We don't know if they're going to be leaving. Um, but I think I'm pretty certain this player is going to be here uh, because the club have invested so much into him and Sokol is probably going to play him against Everton, uh, And that player is Kai Havertz. Um, I, I just think that I've been really underwhelmed by his preseason, season um, And I had my concerns at the back end of last year and they, they haven't gone away. Uh, I think, unfortunately, he looks... Because like last season, last summer, sorry, he could have, I think a lot of people were looking at him. He's going to be the main number nine. And then, of course, Lukaku came in and changed all of that. Um, And I think that Kai Havertz's inability to get going last season was kind of hidden by the problem of Lukaku, as I was saying a little bit earlier. Lukaku's no longer here. So the focus is going to be on Kai Havertz. And I think that he looks at the moment like he's just kind of coasting through games he doesn't look like he's a player ready to take that kind of central striking role, at least play a massive part in Chelsea's attack under Tuchel. Listen, he's not the only one, um, but I think that there is a lot of hype around Kai Havertz and there's a lot of talk about his talent. And I don't see a player that grabs the game by the scruff of the neck a lot of the time. I don't think he's got the natural striker instincts that I'd want from a player in that position with that responsibility. I think that he spends too long on the fringes of games where he kind of is quite content to get the ball close to the halfway line, do a nice turn and pass it to someone else. But it's like that's not that's not impacting the game enough for me. Um and I, I just feel that he will and should be judged on goals this season. You know, that's uh, you can we can pseudo-intellectually up as much as we want. We can say that you're not really seeing what Kai Havertz is doing in the game. But if you're playing as a nine, I'm judging you as someone who's gonna to have to put the ball in the back of the net. He had good weeks last season. That's what I'm gonna say. When I was thinking about it earlier, like he had good weeks, he had a great week in March. Um I need to see more than good weeks, and I need to see them before Christmas. Um, I don't want to be sat here in January still wondering where Kai Havertz is. Because that's why Brozier has a great opportunity. Because I don't see a player. Uh, the problem is it maybe it's just his demeanor, but I don't see a player that's progressed at all from last season that has improved on areas that he's lacked that looks like someone who sees a door opening and really wants to to take this opportunity and really prove himself you know adam did an interview with him recently and questioned him about his consistency and he was talking well you know you can't score five to six goals every week and it's like mate no one's asking you to score five to six goals you know i didn't ask diego to score <laughs> five to six goals but i expected players like that to turn up before February, which is what he did not do last year so i think it's him because i think a lot of focus will come onto him particularly um this season more so than it ever has as a a chelsea player which is weird because you know this is a guy who scored the champions league winning goal but that champions league winning goal i think gave him a lot of leeway of chelsea fans you know rightly so because it's it's an iconic goal in our history and that he will always have that as a chelsea player um but i feel that the here and now he needs to start performing consistently. He needs to start impacting games. And I'm not saying he needs to bang in goals week in, week out. It's just there are too many games that go by with Havertz where I don't know what he did. I'm I'm just kind of sat there baffled and I'm not quite sure he has impacted it at all. He hasn't really left an impression and I'm constantly told he's had a good game, but I'm looking at the numbers. I'm looking at what he's actually done and contributed to Chelsea's attack and against Udinese, like against Arsenal, like against Club America it's it's a it's another performance just tossed to the side. And um, I, I think the big goals in cup competitions aren't enough. I think he needs to add more in the
1: Premier League.
2: Adam, player who needs a big season? Or players?
1: I think, yeah, Kai's the obvious one. And I think for all the reasons Daniel's explained, um, I guess if, if you're looking at players that do end up staying, um, despite their futures being uncertain, Christian Pulisic, um, probably needs a big season just to to find out where he can go um, in his career because I don't think we've seen anywhere near enough from him since he picked up that FA Cup final injury, uh, the hamstring injury, which was admittedly quite a bad one. Um, but last season, he you know he down, you know, he had moments, but there wasn't a the consistency to his game. Hasn't had certain, hasn't had a great pre preseason. Um, got the goal against Charlotte, but but you know he played ninety minutes against Udinese today and, and just didn't do anything. Um, I guess you could probably make the same argument for Ziyech if he stays. Um, I mean, Callum Hudson-Doyle as well, similar boat. Um, Callum's I think got a couple of years left on his contract now, and and the sort of the conversation we've had the last three years, I guess, of what can Callum Hudson-Doyle. B is, is still there um, he's been obviously incredibly unlucky with injuries in his, his young career he had the Achilles injury and he had what sounded a very strange injury last season when he lost all power in, in one of his legs um, because of a sort of a back issue so he's managed to come back from that thankfully because that did sound quite a bad one um, but yeah there, there's still this what can Callum Hudson-Odoi be um, and yeah there's, just, there's, there's a lot of question marks over the attackers as there has been now for a couple of years yeah, no, that's
2: very fair. Um, I'm going to say Callum hudson I I agree completely with what Daniel says about Kai Havertz, uh, but I think given how Callum hudson is perhaps nearer the end of his Chelsea career than Kai Havertz is, I'm going to say him and I'm going to put it level with Christian Pulisic because I'm kind of tired of saying, referring, I'm kind of tired of hearing people go post-lockdown Pulisic. I'm kind of tired of hearing that phrase and people, you know, referencing how he was amazing, how he, you know, single-handedly got us top four with Olivier Giroud. I'm kind of... A bit tired of hearing that phrase about how good he was on you know, I'm I'm looking for something more from him. So it would be those two for me. I think, you know, both very talented players, but ultimately players who who need to show more than they've done because Christian Pulisic for what well, the fifty odd million we spent on him has not showed his show his worth and not reached double figures in a Premier League season goals wise for Chelsea yet. Um so we need a big season. Kalamad clearly needs a big season because again one goal a Premier League season is not really gonna gonna cut it at at Chelsea. Uh, next one. It will be top goal scorer, Daniel? Surely Jorginho is not going to win uh, be our top scorer on pens, you know, because obviously Raheem Sterling is very good at winning penalties. Mm-hmm. So Jorginho may have a good shout. but who's going to win? uh Who's going to be Chelsea's top scorer of season?
0: I went with Lukaku last year and I was right, <laughs> but I was <laughs> wrong in terms of the actual amount of goals he scored. Uh, I'm going to go with Raheem Sterling. Uh, I just... Out of the current attack, I think he's most likely to get a lot of goals. I just think his positioning is anticipation. I think he'll mop up a lot of a lot of goals. I mean, what does that mean for Chelsea? I mean, it's it's uh, we haven't got someone who's bagged in 20 goals or close to it since Tammy. So it's it's hard to, unless unless Kai explodes, unless someone else does, you know, it it's 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 hard to see at the moment that obvious player. Uh but I would go Sterling because I just I think he spent his whole career scoring goals. And you know, it's a challenge for Tuchel to stop him scoring goals basically, uh, because it's something he's done throughout all of his career. So I'll go over him.
1: Fair enough, Adam. Who will be Chelsea's top scorer this season? Yeah, I'm gonna echo Daniel. I think it's you've got to feel it's Sterling really. Um his now's in the penalty box is probably the best in the squad. Um he knows the positions to get into. He is hopefully going to have that Man City muscle memory of just consistently running into the back post and tapping in goals. Cause I think there's always that possibility that Chelsea um, can use that. As Daniel said, look, it's kind of on Tuchel to make sure that Sterling is still a reliable goal threat, because if, if Lukaku hasn't worked and then if Sterling drops off, then obviously there'll be question marks, bigger, well, maybe even bigger question marks about Tuchel's ability to coach a, a consistent sort of attacking game. Um, because, yeah, that's still Chelsea's issue.
2: Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I'm going to make it a hat-trick and go Raheem Sterling, top goal scorer, because ultimately I think he will, he is Chelsea's best attacker and I think he will be Chelsea's best source of goals. And I said, if Jorginho is winning, he ends up as our top scorer this season, <laughs> it's going to be a very, very sticky situation. It might be a very, very difficult scrap for the top four. Uh, next prediction, one or one thing you hope to see this season. So, I mean, again, I asked this question Last year, this can just be in general relates to on the pitch, off the pitch, you know, your experience for Chelsea, whether it be, you know, in the ground, online, etc. Daniel, one thing you hope to see this season?
0: I think more consistency in performance from Chelsea. Uh, I think writing for football under last year, it was really difficult sometimes to go from week to week and game to game. And so many things were so uncertain consistently over who's going to be playing in the attack? What does the best midfield look like? What does the best back three look like? Um, and some of that sure was enforced on Chelsea and took all by injuries and suspensions and stuff like that, which will, will happen again. But I just feel like an overall sense that I I watch this team for a majority of the season and fingers crossed over fitness, obviously, that you can tell what they're trying to do on the pitch and there's a, there's a, there's a development of them that I can you know, they say it in sort of filmmaking of when you're trying to pitch a film like an elevator pitch, you know, I'm able to tell you what Chelsea are doing on, on the pitch under Tuckle very easily. Um, and that's kind of what I want for this season. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect, but I think that I've got so sick and tired of spending large vasts of seasons where Chelsea just are so unenjoyable to watch. Um, you know, and, and I think we've all experienced those moments, usually in the winter months where all sort of energy and expression in our play kind of gets sapped away and games become a real drag. Um, those will always happen in the season, but I think at Chelsea, because of the way we've constructed our squads, they happen too too often and for far too long. So for me, it's just about feeling like entertainment, you know, energy, enjoyment, you know, those things we want to see in a football club. Um you know, so that, that that's kind of a, a base rule for me. Any sort of ambition about sort of social media becoming less toxic, you know, they went out the window years ago. So, uh, you know, that's kind of my hope. Adam.
2: one thing you hope to see this season on or off the pitch, you know, your experience covering Chelsea, et cetera.
1: I'm going to ask or hope for the impossible and, and say I'd like there not to be any drama at Chelsea uh, for a season, like not a managerial stacking, not a squad imploding, not a takeover. Just a season where things kind of work properly and it's enjoyable enough to uh, go to all the games. And uh, I don't feel like my life is being swallowed up by reporting on Chelsea Football Club. Um, that would be nice, but let's be realistic. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to actually say a strong home Uh, campaign. I want to go to Stamford Bridge feeling like I'm going to see a Chelsea win I don't want to go there feeling like oh God, hopefully we can get over the line today. I want to be confident, I want opposition fans to feel, oh we're going to Stamford Bridge, we're not going to get anything today I want to get that feeling back at Stamford Bridge so that's what I'm hoping for.
2: I'm glad you went for that second answer because you'd have then given a very boring answer to my final question Um, Right, one thing I hope to see this season yeah, I'd like to see Chelsea win games at home that, that would be quite simple. Obviously, that, due to the sanctions, I didn't go to any of the last five home games. And I was actually very pleased I didn't because I think we won about one of them. and <laughs> We lost a couple and we drew. Uh, it was it was pretty dull to watch. Uh, it wasn't enjoyable. And in general, not for Chelsea's season to just peter out to the extent where well, I'm wanting the season to be over so I can just just mentally just detach from it and not get, you know, brought up in it and just worry about, you know, will this happen? What will happen here? Um, but obviously this may undo all that. Final question to Emberport. One seismic event that will happen at Chelsea this season. This could be a result on the pitch. This could be a manager sacking. This who knows? This could be a player doing an interview saying how much he misses living in Manchester this time. Who knows? Daniel, <laughs> one seismic event that will happen this season at Chelsea.
0: I should not predict this, but out of the like the roulette of like possible sort of options of of how things I mean, many things can go wrong at Chelsea. But to me, a winter collapse is kind of—it's part of the calendar. It's not—it's not seismic. Yeah, we also
2: the only, only play a couple of games in December happen. this year due to the World Cup. So. Yeah,
0: as well. Like we, yeah, we can't really have the full-blown winter collapse this year because we're not really playing uh, in December. Um, the only one I can go towards is is Tuchel being sacked. That's the only one, and that's not me saying how I want it to happen. That's just the only one available, realistic when I think of seismic, because that is probably out of what could happen. The only one I couldn't think of is maybe like the stadium, something to do with the stadium, maybe. I don't know, like a, a change in sponsorship is not seismic. There's, there's kind of – that's <laughs> the only one on the board for me that makes <laughs> – and to be honest, based on the conversation we've been having, the groundwork is already there, to be honest. And, and to be honest, you know, I've just, you've got to have a bit of humour about
1: it. There's, Why don't you add a new thing to the roulette wheel?
0: But I don't something know what bridge.
1: I can't say. Tampa bridge falls into a sinkhole. Something
0: <laughs> where there's a multiverse when where Frank Lampard <laughs> comes back and he's in, in a different universe. He doesn't get sacked in 2021, and he actually won Chelsea the Premier League. Maybe there's a multiverse when we don't we didn't sell Mottger, Gurhey and Bukayo Tamori and Tammy Abraham. Um, I, mean, I know, you
2: have a Timo Werner could, could could go could return to the Leipzig team and we saw this. That would be a seismic event.
0: No, not really, no. I fully expect that when Werner returns to Leipzig, he'll start scoring goals again. I'm fully prepared for that and I'm not going to change my opinion um, at all. So, you know, don't expect any apologies here.
2: Uh, Adam, one seismic event we'll have to Chelsea this season. Or, uh, like, you know, that like I said, that could be a result, but, we, you know, we could have a City 6-0, for example, I don't know, or something like that, or or, or we take a ridiculously heavy defeat or, you know, say, manager just player does something stupid. You know, just give me
1: something. Zombie apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> That's what no. Um you know I kind of don't want this to, to be the case, but I th- have a very sneaky suspicion unless Todd Bowley and, and the, the, the ownership sort out quickly, Mason Mount's contract might become a bit of an issue because he's got two years left. He's massively underpaid given his importance in this squad and talks haven't actually started yet about extending that deal and You don't want it to become a prolonged thing, but if you go into next time with him having a year, there are going to be clubs ready and waiting to take him. So, yeah, maybe that will be what it is. There'll be uncertainty over Mount's future and most sensible, logical people will be very concerned about that and a very small subsection of bizarre people on Twitter will be celebrating the fact that Chelsea's two-time player of the year and most reliable player is potentially going to uh, have just a year left on his contract. If bad Chelsea takes his listing, that one is for you.
2: <laughs> right, I guess my one seismic prediction of the season, I'm going to say it, this is Thomas Tuchel's last season at Chelsea Football Club. I'm not going to specify if he gets sacked mid-season or he walks at the end. I'm just going to make that prediction due to fact that there is a lot of uncertainty. If Chelsea do not progress forward how they would have liked, he would have been here at two and a half seasons and needle would probably not have moved as far in the direction he would have liked. He will still be a well-sorted, you know, looked-after manager, you know, well quarter manager. Real Madrid and Carlo Angelotti, you never know. You never know there. Real Madrid could easily just go, cheers, Carlo, for the Champions League. They have a little dip. There you go. Real Madrid could come looking for him. I don't know. I'm just going to make my prediction that this is Thomas Tupel's last season at Chelsea Football Club. That's my seismic event, I guess, that will happen this year.
0: Well, but- still free, isn't he?
2: Like... When, Poch- when Pochettino comes to, Ch- Pochettino to Chelsea in, yeah, in January. And
0: Lukaku <laughs> comes back from loan. And we, we re-signed Sammy Abraham in 2023.
2: Well, no, no, I haven't said this, but I think, I'm not sure if I said this to you. I've had sneaky suspicion from Lukaku. He's not played his last game for Chelsea Football Club. So, but, you know, that that is one for the future, on, for this season. Say, it's...
1: So we're now saying Tuchel's going. Pochettino will come to Chelsea. I mean, Harry Kane will only have a year left on his contract next summer. So you know, this is the timeline that we're in, is it?
2: <laughs> well, you you never know. You never know. It could be like that, that. Could be fun. You know, maybe maybe all of a sudden, Delhi Ali has a brilliant season at Everton. Watch then season he goes Delhi, come back to me. Do what you did there. Well, I don't know. we will be interesting. We'll see what happens. A lot, a lot could go crazy. We've kind of just gone got silly that last question. I
0: love how we're setting ourselves up to be cancelled in this podcast. <laughs> but I'm I'm aware for it.
2: I can't wait. I'm just when I get a message. So negative. Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be good fun. But um, thank you to Adam and Daniel for giving me their time uh this afternoon. I hope you the listeners have enjoyed. Before we go, I'm gonna get them to give themselves one last poker. So Adam, tell people where they can find you on Twitter and find all your work. And if you've obviously got any you know, exciting new new pieces coming out in the next week or so.
1: Uh no, come come to to at Adam and on Twitter and, and go from there. Um no, thank you for having me on. I hope we haven't been too negative. Um as you know I said, that there are there's reasons for optimism, there are also reasons for considered pessimism, but we'll see where Chelsea go in the next few weeks. Yeah,
2: exactly. And you know, if you expect disappointment you can never be disappointed so i mean that's just maybe the mancha we've uh, <laughs> been wrong with today daniel uh thanks for coming on as always why do you tell people do so one last time where people can find you on twitter and find all your work
0: yeah like adam said uh at son of chelsea on twitter and uh yeah I, I think you can only sort of speak in in the time you're in to be honest i mean that's that's kind of i think we've reflected the conversations we've been having in recent weeks over chelsea um in two weeks' time, we could be much more optimistic. You know, it's it's just the way it is. I, I don't think there's any point trying to be dishonest, um, and and I think there's fair criticisms of the club, but there's also room to be optimistic because football's back, and I think like Adam, just sick and tired of transfers dominating everything all the time, and you know, football matches do actually matter a bit more than transfers.
1: Yeah. Can I just quickly change my seismic event? Yep, yeah, go on. Having thought about it more, I'm going to say that London. Uh, there's an energy crisis and we can't actually play evening games anymore because we can't have the floodlights on. So that's my live event. London's energy crisis becomes so bad that evening games are cancelled.
0: You're trying to keep more optimistic, Adam. Modern. Right, All
1: right, sorry. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's very
2: topical, very close to home, what Adam. I'm sure that's, that's done wonders for for many people. But yeah, no, of course, but but you never know. That that could be a possibility. Um, right. But at least
1: yeah. Staying in this scenario, so you know.
2: <laughs> around. <about. laughs> that's exactly. I've. I've won, but at what cost We except, can no what, longer
0: play Champions League games <laughs> and make some in.
2: What did it cost? Everything. No, exactly. Um, look, I'm going to wrap it up there. Look, roll on the new season. Good luck to everyone at, at Goodson Park next weekend, Saturday, 5.30 kickoff. That'll be a bunch of last... We'll, we'll be back next Sunday to uh, talk about Chelsea's, who knows, result there. Uh, but until the next episode, everybody, keep a blue flag. Bye, and
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.